This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamara Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change, to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment, um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. Today we're going to be looking at a longer text than what we usually do. So bear with us. We think it's a really powerful and important story. It begins with Isabel, with Jezebel, killing all of the prophets for God and sending a message to Eliyahu, to Elijah, basically saying that he's next um, and that he is also going to be killed. And that's where we'll pick up with the text. Frightened, he fled at once for his life. He came to Beersheba, which is in Judah, and left his servant there. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Enough, he cried. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He lay down and fell asleep under a broom bush. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. He looked about, and there, beside his head, was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. He arose and ate and drank, and with the strength from that meal, he walked 40 days and 40 nights as far as the mountain of God at Horeb. There he went into a cave, and there he spent the night. Then the word of the Lord came to him. He said to him, Why are you here, Elijah? He replied, I am moved by zeal for the Lord, God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to the sword. I alone am left, and they are out to take my life. Come out, he called, and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And lo, the Lord passed by. There was a great and mighty wind, splitting mountains and shattering rocks by the power of the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. There's a lot to unpack <laughs> yeah. in that text. So one thing you told me before we started was that Horeb, the mountain of God at Horeb, is the same as Mount Sinai. Yeah, so the Torah refers to refers to Sinai as both Sinai and Horeb. So this is a place that we've seen before. It's a place where we have had prior encounter between God and humanity. And it's also a place where we've had fire and smoke and thunder and lightning and great natural pomp and circumstance. So striking, but perhaps not surprising that we get some of those elements in this story as well. 
Right. And you can listen to a past episode where we talk about the two revelations that happened at Sinai before this, one to Moshe at the burning bush and one to the entire children of Israel um, with the giving of the Ten Commandments. And now we're back to one individual, same spot, still fire. And it's interestingly one individual that feels despair and isolation. So his separation from the community is actually very pertinent Mm -hmm. to the revelation. Yeah, Elijah, Elijah here feels really alone. Though part of me wonders if he's like maybe tapping into a mythical past of the Israelites, because one of the things that he's so deeply upset by is that the Israelites have forsaken their covenant with God. And so I think there's something powerful about him being in this place of covenant, right? In this place where once the Israelites were committed to that covenant, where maybe once he wouldn't have felt so alone, maybe the place itself is a reminder that he's not doomed to that loneliness. Right. Which is very interesting because the end of the text, it talks about kol mama daka. So this still small voice. And that still small voice has something very individualistic about it. Mm -hmm. It's repeated a lot on Yom Kippur. Am I correct about that? So yes. So that is in Unetanetokef, which at least in the Ashkenazi tradition is like the central prayer of both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And what role do you think that phrase plays in that prayer? We could do a whole... No, no, no. It's a good question. We could do a whole (laughs) podcast episode on that too. (laughs) But there it's contrasted with the shofar gadol, Mm. the sound of the great shofar, which also we have the sound of the shofar at Sinai. And I think that part of what's happening here is exactly what you hit on, sort of like this tension between the individual experience of the divine and the collective experience of the divine. So when the Israelites are all together, it seems like actually God is in the fire and the noise and... This moment of revelation of God being revealed is very much through these loud and flashy things. But for Elijah alone, it's much quieter Mm. and much more about him personally um, and what he can actually sense, perhaps in a way that nobody else can. Right. And I think for us, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah are also very communal and very individualistic. Exactly is that we gather in community, and in fact, it's often the biggest community that we see all year, that the most people come to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but it's very inward turning. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of the loud shofar and the small voice, it's two things we're experiencing at the same time, and how do we conceptualize that? And one thing I think with community and individuals is, you know, when I was a teenager, we used to call it peer pressure, but it's actually just a pervasive force in human nature. This idea that we are always looking outward to the people around us and what are they doing, and that matters so much to us and our decision making. And when you're in a place where there's a lot of stuff happening around you that you're upset about or disagree with, it can feel huge. It can be a real weight on you. It can be this huge wind that's smashing rocks, right? 
or this fire. That is how that can feel. And it seems like that's how it feels to Eliyahu because he says, just kill me. Yeah. (laughs) So it's obvious. I mean, he is being pursued. Someone wants to kill him. But I think when he voices what's bothering him, he talks about the Jewish people abandoning Judaism and worshiping idols. That's what he talks about more than someone trying to kill him, right? Yeah. And I think it's striking, actually. He's being chased, right? Somebody wants to kill him, and he prays to die, which is fascinating because it seems that he's, like, trying to save his own life, but also feels like such a sense of despair that he's not even sure that he wants to live. But I think you're right. I think the reason that he can sort of hold on to both of those things at the same time is that his despair is not about that he is going to die, right? If it was he would just let them overtake him. It seems that his despair is actually rooted in this sense of being alone in his commitment to following God and and continuing to be part of the covenant and feels like his entire people have abandoned that and, like, that seems to be causing him much more pain. Right. And so the end of the text where... It talks about the still, small voice. I think that's a guide to how to sustain yourself, is turn inward and be sustained by your own conviction, perhaps your connection to the divine. And so through that still, small voice of your own conviction, you can actually reach a much bigger place. Yeah. As you mentioned before we started recording, perhaps also what's giving Elijah this sense of conviction is that God calls upon him to state his purpose. Why are you here? Why have you run away? What's going on? And Elijah has to articulate that he is here as the sole representative of this way of life that he feels like everybody else has abandoned. And perhaps even just making that statement of purpose is part of what reinvigorates him to continue on that path. Yeah, and one of the reasons that I wanted to do this text is I wanted to talk a little bit about climate grief, climate despair, climate anxiety. There are a lot of ways of saying it. But having this overwhelming feeling, knowing what's out there, knowing about the natural disasters and anticipating disasters and suffering that is to come, it can be really debilitating. And it's a phenomenon that's very well tracked and acknowledged. So if you're feeling that way, you're not alone. There was actually recently a study of people, I think, between the ages of 16 and 24 in lots of different countries all over the world. And I don't remember which countries they took, but it spanned the globe both rich and poor countries. And I believe that about half the, the people surveyed said that climate anxiety is with them daily, that this is actually a major concern for their life. So I wanted to bring in a text that really talks to a state of despair and a state of like extreme anxiety. Yeah. And I think, I think the way that loneliness also plays into that is like is really interesting, right? So I think with that climate anxiety, I think there's also a sense of loneliness of like, 
especially why doesn't everybody care about this the way that I do? And I will say in particular, I think there's a generational question of like, why don't people from other generations care about this in the way that my generation does? Why haven't other generations sort of taken care of this in such a way that the generation of 16 to 24 year olds wouldn't be living with this anxiety every day because we'd be in a different place? And perhaps it's like a note of hope there. Elijah feels this tremendous loneliness here, right? And says, the Israelites have forsaken your covenant and I alone am left. And we now have a tradition of inviting Elijah to every Brit Milah. Hmm. That we say that Elijah is present every time a baby boy is welcomed into the covenant. And part of the idea behind that is that actually it's a way of showing that Elijah that he was wrong. Mm. Right, that he really believed that he was, like, the last remaining person who was committed to this covenant. And now he's called upon to show up every single time a new baby is welcomed into that covenant. And I think there's something really powerful about that, that sometimes there can be a little bit of, like, self-aggrandizement in believing that we we alone are committed to something and and why is it that nobody else cares about this the way that I do? And Elijah is actually called upon literally every day to to be reminded that actually he was not alone. And that, you know, there certainly have been times like this moment in the story where overwhelmingly the Israelites are doing the wrong thing. But there is always this potential for tshuva, for returning to the covenant. And now Elijah is called upon to do that all the time. Right. And... One thing I was thinking about looking over this text and discussing this text with you is talking about the different approaches or solutions, not solutions, because we will not solve climate anxiety due to the fact that our climate is going to be in trouble for a while. And having anxiety and having sadness is a very natural response. But when it starts to just glue you to the spot when you can't do anything and that's all you're feeling, then that's actually not what you want. You want to be out there working for change. So what are some ways that we can address this feeling and work with it? And I thought we could look at the text. So we've talked about having that inner conviction We've talked about this idea of Eliyahu going from generation to generation. To me, that's um, like visualizing a better future, right? Mm -hmm. Having this hope or imagination of what could be in the future if we keep working. Yeah. And I think also like looking out and looking for other people who actually are committed to this task also. And maybe they're going about it in slightly different ways, right? And maybe they're not doing exactly what I would want. But to remember that actually we're not alone. Right. It can be tempting to believe that we are. And sometimes this work feels really lonely. To add to other tools that this text gives us, at the risk of sounding trite, right? Twice Elijah is reminded to eat. He's given food and water. And twice he sleeps and the angel reminds him that without eating enough, the journey is going to be too much for him. He's not actually going to make it to this encounter with the divine. And like, that's important too, right? He's actually like really explicitly called upon just to like take care of his physical being in the most basic sense of eating and drinking and sleeping. Right. Self-care. 
staying healthy. Yeah. Another thing, just riffing on that a little, is I was struck by how, at least in the English, it says a cake baked on hot stones. And that really took me back to a previous podcast where we had talked about Benzoma and how he was expressing gratitude at this loaf of bread that magically, not actually magically, but just amazingly had appeared to him. And he was saying, actually, all these steps were required for the bread. And it could have just said the angel, like, gave him some bread, right? right? But it said a bread baked on hot stones. So that recalled to me, maybe the angel is just very subtly being like, you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Like, here's a bread, and actually a community went into making this bread. Mm -hmm. And when you can sustain yourself on that and truly feel that gratitude and feel that connection, then that can be a way of bringing you back into pursuing your work. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Like a little subtle reminder that he's not alone. Right. There's also going out into nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to be careful about the way that I praise this, but there's also getting space for himself. Mm. You know, obviously, like, taken to the extreme, that can be detrimental and sort of get in the way of one's work. But he begins the journey with a servant and then continues on alone into the wilderness. And, you know, again, right, it seems like loneliness is sort of one of the one of the problems in this story. So I don't want to overly praise that. But also, like, knowing when we need to be with other people and when actually, like, we need to clear some space and be alone and be able to tap into that still small voice. Right. That's important, too. I think there are a lot of messages here and a lot that we can draw in terms of how do we get strength? What are many different directions with which we can go to get strength? I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.